done fell right down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right Hey, Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Story Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul Tender Dog Ninja Sometimes they're cat Freddy, but never the ferrets. Hey, this is Nick Roth, and you're listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Hey guys, welcome to episode 313 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy, it's going to be a fun one. Okay. Obviously, we're going to start off by thanking all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. If you're a member of our allied forces, you are on our side and you have our support. Amen. We can't thank you guys enough for watching over us and keeping us safe every single day and taking your time away from your families. We appreciate you all so much. And you are in our prayer every single day. Absolutely. also want to make sure that we mention, because this is actually big news, that the United States now has a new crisis line number. And it's not just a suicide hotline. It's a crisis line. So you don't have to be suicidal to pick up the phone and dial this number. It's if you're under some type of distress, maybe you're just going through some stuff and you want to pick up the phone and call them, 988 is the new number that took a uh, effect, I think, on the 16th, which was uh, last yeah, Saturday. Yeah, I believe so. Uh-huh. But that's all you got to remember now 988, and you're going to get somebody that can help you if you're in a time of crisis. Very true. I guess you can still text yeah, you the 741 741 number as well. But so just keep in mind if you're, if you're going through some things, it's a tough time for a lot of people. I know Tracy and I talk to several people every single week and you know, everybody's situation is different. What what might be a major uh, problem for you may not be a major problem for somebody else and vice versa. So everybody handles things different. They handle them at their own pace. And some people really just need somebody to talk to. I do want to emphasize. I do want to emphasize that when we talk about the group on here, it is the Facebook group. There is a Facebook page for Hillbilly Horror Stories. That's just basically a page for us to list shows we got coming. It's just kind of show related, what have you. But if you post to that page and you can, the chances of somebody seeing it are very slim because it's not really designed for that. Mm-hmm. We will get the message uh, saying somebody posted on the page. Other than that, we wouldn't normally see it. But then there's the group and the group is something completely different. The group's a private group. You have to ask to be in it. You'll get approved. But that's the one that we're always talking about posting. Because we've had a couple people recently post uh, to us. And luckily we saw it and was able to talk to them. But post on the page. And that's not the same thing. There's your your chances of... Uh, well, the only person that can respond to it is me and Tracy. Right. 
So, it, you know, and nobody else is going to see it except for us. So the group is where you want to post if you have if you need to talk to somebody mm-hmm. and you can't get a hold of somebody right off. That's that's where you want to go. So just make sure that you're posting to the group and not the Facebook page. Correct. And it does say group on there, so you you can't miss it. Absolutely, you guys do that, and uh, we appreciate this group so much. You guys have been a godsend for real to be there for everybody that's reached out. We appreciate y'all so much. Okay. All right, so Tracy, today we are going to cover an absolutely beautiful location in Asheville, North Carolina, the Biltmore Estate. Kristen has actually stayed there a few years back. Yeah, she sure did. She loved it. So, so we also have a fun chat with Ashley Ryan. She is the Pythian Priestess. That's what she goes by on all her social media. She's the host of the Occult Unveiled podcast. Ashley's a witch and a Luciferian, and we talk about what all that means. Okay. But pretty cool. I found her absolutely fun and fascinating. So before we get into the story, though, I want to clarify some remarks that I made last week about the CNA profession. So when we were talking about a lot of the abuse that goes on in nursing homes and and some of these mental health facilities and stuff. I had made mention that I felt like a lot of it basically was because the people didn't make very much money uh, and the stress level and all that stuff. And I had mentioned something about most of them make about $10 an hour. Now, what I meant to say, and it probably got misconstrued, but I was talking about during the time that this hospital closed down in 1994, right. about $10 an hour is what most of them were probably making. That's about what I made. Yeah. Right. So, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him down the profession by any means. And basically what I was trying to say, and it may not have came through that way, was that that is a thankless profession that is uh, overworked and underpaid. That's what I was meaning to mm-hmm. say. Not that CNAs were bad people. or No, the, not at all. Know, that, that definitely wouldn't what I was meaning. I was just saying hey it's a it's a very tough profession it is, is very tough uh and at the time that i worked there like on the weekend on a saturday we had like i had 11 patients and another girl had 11 patients and we had to do all that and it, it's very hard work so you know we very much appreciate the cnas and for taking care of you know yeah all both, those of, people. both of my sisters are cnas yep. so mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely. So if, if for some reason you felt disrespected, I promise you that's not the no, way not at meant, all. I apologize. No, for that. we appreciate y'all so much. I also want to mention that this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Um, I want to I want to say this: BetterHelp. We have tried really hard to get them as a partner because I feel like they go hand in hand with what we preach on here. You know, we've got the new nine and eight line that that people can use, but. I also want to make sure that people realize that with better help, you know, this is a true counseling line. So you don't have to be suicidal to to need counseling. Trust me, I can use counseling almost every single day of the week. <laughs> me too. And better help is actually a really good partner of ours. And I just wanted to make people uh, make sure people realize that, you know, we put out a special link for us. So if you ever go click on like I, I posted it all over our social media and I'll probably post it once or twice a week. But if you see it in the group, you see that link, if nothing else, just click on it and check it out and see what they're all about. Mm-hmm. You don't have to subscribe to them. No, you don't not have at to all. order, you know, services or, but just at least click on it and see what it's about. Because one day 
you might need them. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to already have that knowledge in back of your head. Absolutely correct. You know, if you get a chance to check them out, check them out. All right, Tracy, let's get down to some history of the Biltmore Estates. Are you ready for this? Let's get down with your bad self. (laughs) First of all, the architecture here is jaw-dropping. I did see a picture, and it was really amazing. I mean, so it's just beautiful. The property is huge. It sits on 8,000 acres. 8,000 acres? So much room for activity. (laughs) No kidding. Up in that beach. The construction started in 1889, and it was completed in 1895. Wait, the whole thing? Yeah, six years. That big, huge thing they did, well, I guess they just You're going to find out why. Okay, because I'm like, gone, man, that's a lot. It was the private residence for Mr. George Washington Vanderbilt. And yes, he was a member of the prominent Vanderbilt family. Can you name another prominent Vanderbilt family member? Uh, Gloria. Yes, Gloria Vanderbilt. She's part of that family. Of course, later years. Yeah. But, you know, they were famous way back in the day. The Vanderbilts amassed a huge fortune through railroads, steamboats, and other businesses. If it was a form of travel, they they knew a way to make money off of it. George's father owned a mansion up in New York City and in Newport, Rhode Island, and an 800-acre estate in Long Island. Dang, they'd be rolling in the dough. Yeah. His father died of a stroke in 1885, and he left his fortune, which was approximately $200 million. Wait, back in the 1800s? <laughs> yes. What in the yeah, world? Not today's money. That's what it was back then. Dang. He left it to his two eldest sons, Cornelius and William. George, though, he had inherited $2 million from his grandfather when he had passed away, and another million dollars on his 21st birthday from his father. So he already had $3 million of his own back in the 1800s. Then, when his father passed away, he inherited another $5 million and the income from a $5 million trust fund. He was doing okay at 27 Uh, years old. I would think so. Eventually, George's mother moved to North Carolina, and he had been making frequent trips back and forth to North Carolina, and eventually, he was like, you know what? All, all my family had their summer homes and stuff up in the the New England area. Uh-huh. They were all New, New York, Rhode Island, that type of thing. He was like, I think I'm going to move down here and be closer to mom. And I, I love this place down here. So, George moves down there and decides he's going to start having this place built. Yay, he wanted to be with his mama. Yes. He wanted to live there at least for a summer home. Mm-hmm. And you've seen that this house. And that was <laughs> yes, a summer home. That is ridiculous. I'd like to be able, at some point in time of our life, to build a fort, a summer home, and a winter home. That would be nice. All we have are like summer rooms. <laughs> some are hotter than others. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Here's a cool fact for you. <laughs> so it was built by George Vanderbilt, and it's called the Biltmore Estate. Most probably think that Biltmore is a play on his last name, but it's actually not. It does, though, pay homage to his Dutch heritage. See, Biltmore is a combination of Debilt, which is a region of the Netherlands where his family actually originated from, and Moore, which was Anglo-Saxon, uh, that kind of roughly translates to rolling land. Oh, that's so, so cool. That's where he named it. It just I so love happens that. his last name was Bilt. Uh-huh. Which probably comes from the fact that they're from that region. Right. Built region. But 
Anyway, that's that was the reason they named it that. Vanderbilt bought about 125,000 acres to mm, start with. Eh. I mean, it's still 8,000 acres it is now, but yeah. And much of that was farm and even some cemeteries. The cemeteries are still there, by the way. They oh. were pre-Vanderbilt cemeteries. Oh, okay. And they're still. If you go out there, that 8,000 acres, some of that it will include cemeteries. Oh, that's cool. He started working on the home in 1889. Now, he didn't want anything to slow down construction of this 250-room mansion. That's right, 250 rooms. Come on now. So he added a woodworking factory and a brick kiln on site. Oh, to keep the progress growing. That's pretty smart. The kiln produced 32,000 bricks per day. That seems, I mean, I don't know how big these kilns are, and I've never actually watched the brick-making process. But 32,000 a day day seems pretty darn impressive. Well, I mean, what did they make them out of? I mean, I guess they had the machinery to do it, I guess. Well, it's a kiln. What is a kiln again? A kiln. Like, did you say kiln? What do you say? Kiln. K-I-L-N. I I did say kiln. You know, it's like uh, with pottery and stuff. It looks like a big big pizza oven outside that you would put clay in and you would bake it. Oh. Is that how they made it? Well, yeah, that's, that's how they made the bricks. That's how you make bricks. And they made thirty-two thousand and one daggone day. That's why I said it's pretty impressive. I don't know what the process is, but yes, they because bricks are made out of you know like a they're they're soft. You put them in, they bake them, and they become hard. That's what she said. <laughs> oh, you beat me. <laughs> that's what she said again. Okay, that we're is off, we're that I know, but that is so interesting. That is amazing. Well, they were going to need other stuff there besides wood and bricks. House not made of wood and brick alone. So, <laughs> he had to go ahead and build his own private railroad up to the place so, so they could bring equipment and stuff up there that they would need. All right. Now he's just showing off. <laughs> he also hired more than a thousand laborers to help build the property. He was on top of it, buddy. So you can't have a mansion like this and not have adequate furnishings, right? Of course. So while the construction was happening, Vanderbilt traveled all across Europe to find the interior decorations that he wanted. All the furniture and everything. That, I just don't know what to say. I feel like... I don't know what I feel like. I wonder how long it took him to get his... Well, I guess if it came by train, how long it would take him to get his furnishings. Well, I don't know, but it's not going to come by train from Europe. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have that much money where you can build a railroad to Europe. <laughs> no, well, that's true. That's true. But he was, but his family was in the steamboat business. That's quite a long way for a oh, man. steam vessel. Anyways, once the house was completed in 1895, he uh, threw a big, large party, as you would think, to celebrate the opening on Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve. You'd think people would be like, dude. Dude, dude that's our time with our family. Yeah. Maybe they all thought they were getting gifts or something. Probably so. Over the years, several prominent people have stayed at the home from authors to ambassadors to presidents. To Kristen Peluso. She didn't stay in the house. Oh. We'll cover that later. <laughs> she had a tent outside. Matter of fact, she, didn't, she wasn't even supposed to be on the property. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. Oh. Hell, I don't know what that girl does. There was another Asheville landmark on the property. The shallow forestry compound, or as some people call it, the Biltmore Forestry School. Okay. We're going to learn a little bit about that. How about that? 
How about that? This place has some history and ghost of its own. Yay. In a nutshell, though, the forestry was, is, uh, how do I put this? Vanderbilt, there was 125,000 acres, and most of that was forest, mm-hmm. right? So I wanted it. So he had to hire somebody to kind of take care of all that, to make sure that it stayed the way it needed to stay. And that's what a forester's job is. So he hires this forester by the name of Carl Schneck. Like I said, his job was to manage the conservation of the forest to make sure that it didn't develop a bunch of diseases and people didn't come in there and start chopping stuff down. He needed to make sure it stayed the way it was. Oh, okay. He kept it in place. Now, there's more science to this than you would imagine. So Vanderbilt was actually fascinated by everything this guy knew about this stuff. And so were a lot of the locals. So they decided that they were going to construct a building there. And Schneck taught one-year courses on forestry school. Well, that's so good. That's good. Eventually, though, he and Vanderbilt had a big falling out over the pay. And Schneck left. And when he left, the school was closed down. But the building is still there, though. So, And it's now a landmark. And haunted AF, supposedly. We'll talk about that later. So George Vanderbilt died at the age of 51, unfortunately. He was in Washington, oh. D.C., and it was from complications from an emergency appendectomy. <gasps> so young. The date was March 6, 1914. He requested to his wife, Edith, that the house and the property remain the same. He didn't want anything to happen to it. The house was a private residence until the Great Depression. During that time, to keep the resident financially viable, George and Edith's daughter, Cornelia Vanderbilt, she decided to open up the estate to the public as a tourist attraction. How much do you think they charged for tickets back in the 1920s to come in and check out that place? A dollar? Two dollars. He's close. That lasted until World War II. And it was temporarily closed down to the public. Why do you think it was closed down temporarily? Because the war? Yeah, the, but I thought more specifically. I don't know. They closed it down temporarily because they were afraid that if for some reason the Germans or the Japanese or whatever came over and attacked, that there was a lot of precious art, a lot of valuable uh, antiques and everything in there. They were afraid that they would come over there and, and loot it. Because in Europe, during World War II, that's what the Germans were doing. They were they were taking all this precious art and everything. But couldn't they have done that whether it was open or not? Well, good point. They closed it down, but they also moved most of the, most of the big stuff, the important stuff, to a private location where it wouldn't be. So they moved it out of there. Oh, wow. It wouldn't just close down. They had to take a lot of work. One of the things was actually the famous George Washington portrait painted by Gilbert Stewart. So that's one that most people see. Every time you see a picture of George Washington, that's usually the one you see. Just the one of the head? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's the one that did that famous painting and the originals there. George Vanderbilt was a huge art collector. Mm -hmm. That was his main thing. Art and books. He loved both of those. Getting a little teary-eyed thinking about his passing now, hundred years ago. Don't cry. I feel like I knew him. Mm-hmm. Suck it up. <laughs> anyway, the Biltmore estate continued to be ran by the Vanderbilts, including Cornelia's son. One of which, one of which, her sons, uh, John, he lived in the home until he died in 1956. 
His older brother, George, also lived there until 1956. He just moved out when his brother died, so he didn't die there. He moved out. Damn, they're just dying so... I mean, was his brother young, too? I don't know. I just know he was younger than George. I don't know how old his brother was. Hmm. But this is still the early 1900s. I mean, well, well that's, this well, is, no, no, this is 1956. Six, yeah. But still, that's, you know, yeah, I think polio and stuff was still around in mm-hmm. the 50s. And Anyways, soon after, her youngest son, he moved in, and he decided to do some things with the, with the property that actually made it more profitable. So the success that it really is today was all because her youngest son moved in. Oh, wow. And, what and is it? Work. What happened? I don't know. Oh, you don't I, know? No, I just know a lot of the stuff that they do today are the changes that he made from what it was. So my guess is, and I'm going to speculate, is, uh, well, I don't want to talk about that yet. So I'll talk about that later. But I'll bring it up when I get back to that part. In 1963, it became a historical landmark. The Biltmore today gets 1.2 million visitors per year. And I guarantee they're paying more than $2. Oh, dude. Matter of fact, I saw something online where it was like, click on this and get $5 off your ticket prices. So I know they're charging probably mm-hmm. $20 bucks a piece or that something. That is so cool, though, that oh, so it's... many people are still so interested in this place. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. George would be so happy. So before we get into the ghosts and such, another fun fact. The Biltmore has... 178,926 square feet. That's about ton. That's equivalent to four acres of of just floor size. And that's only in the main building alone. Hoogee. <laughs> yes. Hooge. All right, so let's talk paranormal. Many visitors and employees have had experiences here. One of the most common occurrences is hearing a voice whispering, George. Oh. At night, some have heard the laughter, the sounds of glasses clinking, and other party-like chatter while walking the grounds. Yes. Love it. Which that wouldn't be a big deal, except when they hear these things. There's, there's no nobody there. Yeah. That's what's great about it. Who would be haunting the Biltmore, you may ask? Some think that it's George's wife, Edith, and maybe she likes to wander the halls searching for her husband, thus the whispering of George. Hollering for him, yeah. Well, not hollering, but whispering. You don't holler or whisper. (laughs) George! How's that? (laughs) Others also believe that George himself is enjoying the afterlife here at the house that he built. I mean, to be honest with you, the place is so big, even if both of them are in there, they probably can't find each other. No, not even. We lose each other at Walmart. <laughs> That's so true. Several visitors have reported seeing spirits go up and down the staircase. I have a question for you. Yeah. Why is it on the inside of a house, it's always stairs, but on the outside of a house, it's steps? Hmm. I don't know. What'd you make me have to think about that for? I don't know, but if you that haven't thought about it, you think about it now. People always say steps when it's outside and stairs yeah. on the inside. Yeah. I have no clue. It doesn't matter because I fall down or up either one of them. Of course, footsteps are also a common occurrence as they are at every haunted house. Mm-hmm. 
which and that's the a thing. I still I don't understand how a ghost that has no weight <laughs> can make a footstep. Can make foot, footstep sounds. <laughs> there also have been reports of strange smells, cold spots, and eerie feelings. Now it's important to note that most of these are involved by said stairway. So it's almost like the stairway itself is where the majority of occurrences that people have happen. Interesting. Because they stay there by the stairs so they can laugh at everybody that falls or trips. Probably so. (laughs) Now we mentioned that the house has 250 rooms. But there are also 200 headless mannequins that are stored throughout the place. Uh, uh, no. I don't think I'd like that. These mannequins are dressed in period clothes that go back to the early 20th century. Why ain't so, they allowed to have their head on? I don't know, but if you if you look at, around at some pictures, or if you're walking around, like, it'll have two mannequins sitting there like they're talking to each other with their period dress, but there's no heads. Oh, <laughs> okay. I don't know, I don't, and I have no, no idea, idea why. why they don't have heads. Speaking of headless... There's a headless orange cat that has been reported to roam around the garden area. It's more quieter than Freddy. Well, I know, but why would you want a headless cat? Well, I don't think they want a headless cat, but that's, I don't know, and I don't know why it's headless. There's no report of, and there's not even a report saying whether the Vanderbilt had pets. I'm sure at some point they did. Yeah, I'm sure. They had all that space. Why wouldn't you have a dang pet? George Vanderbilt, as we mentioned earlier, is one of the ghosts here, allegedly. He's been seen literally everywhere. But the best spot to to check out to see if you can find old George would be at his private study surrounded by his library of books that he so loved. Oh, you know. That's where a lot of his sightings are. Yeah, yeah. And most of the time they say he's like browsing the books. Like he's up. Standing next to one of the bookcases, just kind of... Well, I mean, you know he didn't have all... Uh, I mean, he didn't get to read all those darn books, so... Yeah, I got all kinds of books I haven't read. I know, so this is so nice. He can kind of just go back and look over everything. I think it's great. So remember in the history portion, I brought up the forestry compound that ran the school. Mm-hmm. The school was a site, supposedly, and I'm saying this loosely, of a murder of a lady of the evening... Her spirit supposedly haunts that building, but hers isn't the only one. Apparently, and I'm saying apparently again loosely, there was a few hangings by execution. And they took place in that old building. Now, these spirits have never been spotted outside of that particular part of the property. They're always relegated there. Now, I tried to find out more about these hangings. Because I was curious why they would have hangings there. Yeah executions that you know supposed to be a happy place well i I don't know it's not a courthouse but sometimes they do things other than the courthouse but i don't know why that would happen there and i really couldn't find anything to say that there was executions that went there other than one source that said there were executions there but no details and i couldn't find anything that had any more details so Uh, with a lady of the night she was at the wood house well looking for wood (laughs) also couldn't find anything that would corroborate that story I mean, that's where I go. Wouldn't you? (laughs) Hey, it says wood. Wouldn't you? (laughs) What's wrong with you? Hell, I don't know. Anyways, I couldn't find anything to show that that actually happened either. 
So all three of those, two ex- executions and the lady of the evening were all murdered there mm. or execution there and yeah. nothing. I couldn't find anything to prove anything. Yeah, that's, so ca- that's kind of weird. But let me tell you what I did stumble across. That woody is a funny word? It's not. Woody is a funny word. I did stumble across an incident that definitely did happen there. Okay, what is it? July 20th, 1922. 20-year-old Lawrence West and 24-year-old Emery Lance were both shot dead by Biltmore Forest Development Company security guard Walter Brooks. It was about 11 p.m. These five men, uh, Lauren West, Emery Lance, Price Sumner, Fletcher Frady, and Carl Murray. They drive up to a spot that was about a few hundred yards south of the shallow gate. And that's the the gate you have to get through to be able to go up to Biltmore State. Mm-hmm. Well, they park their car. Somebody notices it. They call up to the, the guards. And they sent two guards. I don't know how many guards were on duty. But there were two guards that were sent to take a take a look at the car and see what was going on. That was Walter Brooks and Jim T- Jim Taylor. They are out there investigating the suspicious car, and when they they get there, they notice that these five men, they're at the location. So they get out, and they're being kind of rowdy, and they start threatening the guards. One of them looked at Walter Brooks and said, Brooks, you killed my dog. So we came down here to get even with you, and we're going to take this place. They got some big kahunas, but go ahead. Well, supposedly, Lance was holding a piece of iron, like a pipe. Yeah. Then, and please don't make any jokes about coming there to get pipe. <laughs> I won't. The other guys were all holding objects, too, that mm-hmm. could be used as weapons. And it looked like they were getting ready to hurl these objects at the two guards. Brooks felt threatened, as you could imagine. And he opens fire. Well, how well that was stupid. You're going to hurl something at them. You know they have guns. Right. Well, they killed. he killed Lance and West on the spot. Price was seriously wounded, but he and the other two men managed to escape the scene. Walter Brooks would eventually be charged with second-degree murder. Wait. Then, yes, because he shot and killed two guys. They did that were didn't have weapons. So he was charged with second-degree murder. What happened to the, the the weapons they hurled at him? Well, I guess they figured that wouldn't reason enough to shoot and kill people. Oh. Okay, go ahead. And then when he went to court, he was criticized for being armed when he took the witness stand. But he said that it was a response to the threats that he had gotten from the public. So I guess there was a big outcry. And like anything else, there's always, as Dr. Phil would say... Two sides to every pancake. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so this was his side of the story, or, or the side that I got. Now... If I lived back then, there might be a bunch of other stuff going on. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe this guy did kill the guy's dog. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's what, you know, so I don't know what happened. But apparently there was a huge public outcry against this guy. So they didn't take mm-hmm. his side. Right. So there must have been some bad stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, definitely. Opinion. I mean, I wouldn't want to just shoot at a bunch of kids. Well, they weren't kids. Well, they were, they were one dogs. Was 24, one of them was 20. Right. Anyways, let's cover a few more stories from the house before we wrap it up. When the house was built, it included a huge indoor pool in the basement. This was a very popular spot during the time that the Vanderbilts owned the home for when they entertained and guests came down. You that look- just sounds weird, a pool in the basement. 
Don't that sound weird? No. Oh. You can put a pool anywhere. Sure it's can. Just a big hole. Big old hole. Now, if you said it was a pool in the sky, that would sound weird. <laughs> See, I'm backwards. <laughs> I'm so stupid. Anyway. <laughs> pool in said, the sky. If you just said a ceiling light, or, or uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, what do you call those lights in the sky? Skylight. Oh, if skylight. If you said skylight in the basement, that would have sounded stupid. Oh, well, yeah, I guess so. Anyways. All right. Today, though, the pool's not really so much fun. Oh. There's a bunch of first-hand accounts of an overwhelming feeling of uneasiness when you're touring the pool area. Some go on to say that they have felt pure terror. Like maybe somebody's, like, people are buried under the pool? Well, there's some, uh, again, unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated reports that someone, possibly a child, may have died in that pool oh, back no. when the Vanderbilts owned it. hope uh, not. Other sites have also occurred in the basement of the mansion, now, the basement area, of course, that's where the pool is, we just said. But it was also where the servants' quarters were. That's where the kitchen was. And there was a gym down there. Wow. Could have been several gyms. I don't know what any of the servants' names were. <laughs> but anyway, some have reported seeing ghostly staff basically frantically repair, uh, preparing a meal in the kitchen area. Oh, Wow. So we mentioned that there are a lot of incidents on the staircase. There are some paranormal experts, and I use that term loosely, that feel that stairways can actually be vortexes for the paranormal. So that would be why you see so many ghosts on staircases. Mm-hmm. And I told you I would get to this point eventually, but I said Kristen stayed there, and I told you she didn't actually stay in the building. Mm-hmm. That's because today, and I think this might have been what the, the Vanderbilt Sun did that made it so profitable, there are like three hotels and cottages where you can stay the night all on the property. Really? So the, Kristen stayed at one of the hotels that's there. That's so cool. We should do that. We should. Um, I looked at like one of the one of the hotels I looked at was like three hundred and forty dollars a night. Oh, good lord, forget it. So I mean, I didn't look at the other ones to see what they were or any of that or how much the cottages yeah, were. Yeah, I'm not trying to pay that kind of money. Come on. <laughs> but anyways, that's what it is. You can go stay and stay on the property. But and I meant to actually, I should have probably looked it up to see if there's because I like to go to TripAdvisor mm-hmm. sometimes. I should have looked on TripAdvisor at the hotels to see if there were any kind of. Uh, ghostly reports of because the, the land itself i mean like we said there's still cemeteries there, uh, yeah way, so. well i'm just thrilled though that the place is still standing and looking beautiful and you know people can enjoy it oh it's phenomenal that's wonderful i'm i'm happy for george I and this really is am. our this is our second haunted location from Asheville. there you go actually i think we've done three from Asheville because i think we did the uh well i think we did the, the other one was where we did like three stories or something but we did the haunted TV station, or radio station that was down there, and then of course we did the um, uh, what was the other the hotel shoot? I drew a blank. Same one Drew and them stayed at because they listened to our episode on the way back. Mm-hmm. I drew a blank. Anyways, he drew a blank. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, that don't take my jink. <laughs> All right, so let's take a quick break for our sponsor, and we'll be right back. All right, Tracy, I want to give a big thank you to the guys from Tragedy of Cinema and the guys from Middle Aged and Creeped Out for an awesome event in Indy. It Uh, it was so much fun. We had to pull out extra chairs and stuff. Yeah, it was wonderful. But Packed House, 
fun show. Everybody had a great time. Um, James Barnes brought us this gigantic life-size skeleton. Well, I guess it's, if it's life-size, it's not gigantic. But <laughs> he brought us a life-size posable skeleton that we have sitting on our uh, futon. Mm-hmm. It's very and, cool. And then uh, he also gave us an exorcist poster that I had framed and put up the other day. I know. He's so wonderful. He's very, very nice to us. And then all of the guys from the, from both shows combined gave us um, a, a handwritten card. What well, was a card? But they all hand wrote something nice in it, thanking us for the opportunity and gave us some gift cards to some restaurants. Yeah, and that was really nice. You guys did not have to do yeah, that. Definitely not. It was definitely our honor to be with you guys. And like we said, it was a blast. It was so cool to meet all of their families. Oh my gosh, Todd's mom has got the <laughs> sweetest little voice. I just want to eat her up. She is the sweetest thing. And James's dad was a sweetest. Yes. So. And they, and then all the wives and all the kids they were just so fun they were amazing it was a very cool event especially considering that it was our first all ages event that mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. and there were a bunch of children there and yeah I, well I, I say children but i mean there were some preteens. no yeah it wasn't like a bunch of two-year-olds no right? no was, no not at all but everyone was very well behaved everybody listens to this listen to the stories it was pretty awesome yeah it was so we'd like just again to thank everybody that came out to that and we just had an amazing time. And I'm thinking about, I told Tracy, the, the location was really nice. Mm-hmm. It's not huge. It seats about 60 people, but it was really nice. And the people there at the VFW post were so great. We, we made hot dogs for the first we time. We did. And we actually gave, we made a bunch of hot dogs and sausages for the veterans mm-hmm. and just handed out to them. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was a fun night. Very fun experience. But I'm thinking about possibly doing two shows there next year, like doing like one with the same group early in the day and then maybe doing like a, a Bro Ohio and Justin Rimmel at nighttime, do mm-hmm. two completely different shows, but same place, same day. Yeah, that would be amazing. It would be so fun. We just, we are so honored and so grateful that we get to meet all these wonderful people. We just can't thank you guys enough for your support. And I know that Todd and James and them really appreciate it too. So you guys are doing a great job as well. We're very proud of you. Also, I want to uh, mention that we are shoot less than a month away now from the old hospital on College Hill, our sixth birthday anniversary. Mm-hmm. And uh, Serial Spirits will be there. You guys have probably heard the commercial. This, is, it's probably going to sell out. It only has 60 seats available. It might be 50. I can't remember. can't remember what I put on there. But there's not very many seats available. So if you're going to, I wouldn't wait to get your ticket. It's not going to cancel, trust me. So... Uh, go ahead and get your ticket. You don't have anything to worry about. It's going to be fun. That one's during the day. Mm-hmm. That one is like 1 to 4, I think it is, on a Saturday. So we don't usually do them that early, so keep that in mind. Um, but it's going to be a blast. Can't wait to do that one. So get your tickets for that one. Tracy, what you got going on over there? Oh, and the cruise, while she's looking at that, the cruise is a couple of months away. I still don't got my dang body in shape. Whew. This is awful. <laughs> But well, you've only known for a year and a half it was coming up. So I know. We know how that goes. <laughs> All right, hon. Um, iTunes this week we have Garf Man 72, Mojo Lobster, Spiders from Mars, and Rose Am I Nice. Thank you guys for your awfully, awfully sweet reviews. We appreciate y'all so much. Just keep them coming, you guys, if you can. That really does help us out. Our Patreons this week are Erica and Mark Stern. Thank you guys for your support. 
we couldn't do this without you all. You're just everything to us. So we just want you to know how much we appreciate you guys. All right, guys, let's take a couple of minutes and listen to Ashley Ryan. You guys are going to find this very fun, I think. I do want to point out there is a little bit of language in this one. So if you got sensitive ears, be on the lookout. Or if you got little kids listening, they might hear a word or two they don't need to hear. Damn it. Hey, guys, I'm excited to bring our next guest on. I have Ashley Ryan. She is the Pythion Priestess, and she is the host of the podcast, The Occult Unveiled, getting ready to start its second season. Ashley, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong in any of this stuff, because a lot of this stuff that you talk about on the show is completely new to me. Uh, you take, uh, you know, like, well, let's start this way. For someone who's never heard your show, how would you describe your podcast? So my podcast is an in-depth look behind the secret occult practices of witchcraft, Western esotericism, Black traditional religions, being able to see things outside of the traditional religious dogma. And what was your reason for starting the podcast? To, is it more or less just to kind of bring these things to light and to kind of cast out uh, stereotypes and, and preconceived notions to what they really are? Well, that's definitely part of it. This podcast was made because it is really what I needed when I started my occult journey when I was a teenager, you know, before the internet really blew up. I was searching for someone to teach me and help me understand the world around me outside of just the books I could find at Barnes and Noble. And I was so blessed over the lockdown, I became internet famous. I have almost half a million followers and it's all because of my secret little hobby of magic suddenly has become incredibly popular. Nice. So uh, you, you identify as a Luciferian, correct? So I have a, I have a, a myriad of titles. I do, I do identify with Lucifer, uh, but the, I like the broad term occultist. So I practice hidden things because I also practice Western esotericism, witchcraft and Luciferianism. All right. So let's break some of those down. Sure. Tell me a little bit about what a Luciferian is, and then let's cover the other two things that you practice, and let's break those down for people that may not be as familiar uh, with what that is terminology-wise. Absolutely. So Luciferian, I don't worship the devil, first of all. Let's get that out of our mind. I don't drink baby's blood, none of that crazy stuff. Luciferianism is the idea that I take control of my life and that I, I use... I use the more positive or light aspects of Lucifer because Lucifer literally means bringer of light. Now, if we want to get away from some Christian ideology, we can think of this uh, as Prometheus bringing light to humans. So I work with Lucifer in my creative endeavors, being able to shine light on my creativity, empower myself and understand better the parts of myself that are maybe darker and I can overcome them. So let's look at this real quick while we're on that subject. From a Christian standpoint, obviously Lucifer was an angel that was cast out of heaven. From your standpoint, 
who was Lucifer? Does it still have any kind of tie to the Christian ideology, or is it is is he an identity all of his own? How do you see that? So, in my hearts of hearts, it is an energy system that can be seen all over the world. You see it in multiple religions, just like I said, Prometheus, a Greek ideology. Ultimately, we use the word Lucifer, which just means light bringer, but it's actually a it is a group of spirits. It is not necessarily just one spirit, which gets really confusing for people. So the idea of a demon actually comes from St. Augustine in Africa in the early medieval period. Before that, demon just meant spirit and it was spelled D-A-E-M-O-N. And that was known as the guiding spirit, which came from Plato, another Greek ideology. So I don't necessarily uh, adhere to the Christian ideology of demons bad when angels good. They both have their own personalities. Now, if there's something malicious or evil, yes, those do exist, but it's generally not going to be a high ranking spirit like Lucifer. I saw a quote of yours that I thought was fascinating, and it actually is something that I could really get behind. It says, there is not an evil energy. Evil comes from humans. If you respect yourself and channel positive energy, you can grab that power and control your reality. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, you know, I, I know there's energy out there. Everything is based on energy, and I'm 100%, and you can manifest your dreams and into reality if you really want that, because that's what will guide you on that on that trek, so to speak. Uh, so I, I really liked, I liked hearing that because I thought that was a, a good way of looking at it. That's kind of the way I look at it. I'm not the most religious person in the world. Uh, I don't know exactly what I believe. It changes day to day almost. I believe there's something. I just don't know that I can get behind a lot of the uh, specific religions uh, just because I think I don't know. I, it's hard to explain to where a lot of people understand, but to me, you know, every religion has their God and they mm -hmm. all kind of look at things the same way. It's just, how do you okay. practice it? And, uh, you know, to me, I, I've always kind of felt like, you know, well, if, if there's, you know, from the Christian standpoint, you know, if you, if you talk to Christians and they go strictly by what the Bible says, it says you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to get into heaven. So to me, that was always like, okay, well, what about Native Americans that didn't know anything about that? They had their own gods for God of Thunder, the God of Lightning, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have any shot of getting into heaven based on that. You know, yeah. or, or or what about, you know, uh, you take somebody Jewish that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ at all, as far as not that standpoint, that being the son of God. Let's say they live a perfect life and they give the charities and they're about as, as good a human as you could ask for. They can't get into heaven because I just never could get behind that. And uh, I grew up Catholic. And as I got older and started looking at things for myself, those were the things I struggled with when it came to organized religion. So I believe there's something out there. I believe in a higher power. Um, I just don't know exactly what. So I tend to believe, you know, things are a little different than what I've read them in the Bible and I'm not a huge believer in the Bible itself, but I am a believer that something exists, if that makes sense. You know, what's so interesting about the Catholic mass. <laughs> it's a blood sacrifice. People don't really think about I mean, it that way. Technically, I mean, this is the, this is the blood of Christ. This is the body. I mean, it, 
it kind of is you're eating it and so i think that's what a lot of catholics don't realize is you're doing magic well, well the congregation isn't the priest is though like this transmutation from wine into blood that's magic dude I, you cannot call it anything else <laughs> <laughs> but I, I know what you mean it's hard to to look at the dogma and i think unfortunately especially right now religion has become so politicized and that's a, a huge thing i don't agree with but what i do like is something called omnism now this came from the 1800s and it's the idea that you can see the nuggets of truth in every religion, but you don't ascribe to one because ultimately all religions are grasping at the same thing, which is purifying your soul. So you can go to Nirvana, heaven, or wherever. Yep, I can agree with that. And we start, we talked about the Lucifer and you got a couple of others that you were talking about the uh, Western. Uh, Western mystery tradition. Right. Yeah. Tell it. Tell people a little bit about that, what, what, what we're talking about when you're on that subject. So I can't share too much because I am in a secret society and I am sworn to silence. But what I can say is that it has a, a long history and it dates back to ancient Greece, perhaps even farther into ancient Egyptian. Um, you know, there's some, there's some scholarly debate about that. But ultimately, Pythagoras and um, Cornelius Agrippa, these are two very prominent they wouldn't call themselves the cultists. They would call themselves magicians. And the idea here is harnessing the energy of the elements in order to work with nature around you. So the Western mystery tradition, you know, starts all the way back in ancient Greece, working with the elements and working with mathematics, sacred geometry, understanding the nature of the universe. And as we move forward in time, uh, certain things, you start to see this mixture between uh, the Christian ideology and Western mysteries, where you get Gnosticism, which is like Christian mystics, which is a mixture of like Kabbalah, which is um, Jewish mysticism. And it all comes together into this interesting, big tradition called the Western mysteries. I really, um, I'm not good at math, but I want to be so badly <laughs> because it explains a lot because math really is magic. And that is the structure and nature of our universe. I can agree with that because I still wonder to this day how a dollar calculator from the Dollar Tree can figure out all that stuff. And it's so simple. <laughs> I mean, that's that's always just been ingenious to me, as stupid as that sounds. But calculators amaze me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. They're really, and they're such a, a new invention versus like, you know, a hundred years ago, you had a computer that took up an entire room that could just do simple math equations. Now you can hold it. It's the size of your palm. Amazing. It is amazing. So you belong to a secret society. So let me ask you a question because there's obviously a lot of secret societies has been from the dawn of time. What is the purpose of a secret society? Why, why is it a secret society? Why is it not want, why do they not want to share with just like everybody and anybody, like some religions that go door to door to say, hey, we want to try to teach you about our religion? Why, why is a secret society on the complete other end of the spectrum? So, first of all, if anyone tries to recruit you, that's a cult. I'm just going to say it straight out. <laughs> if, if we don't recruit, we let people come to us. Um, secrecy. Uh, comes from a very long lineage where you're actually trying to tamper your ego and you aren't trying to say like look how cool I am look look how awesome I am I'm in this society I do this cool thing uh, we do our good works and our we study in silence 
because, um, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like being a saint. It is that you, your actions speak louder than your words. And so um, I do these good works and I, a lot of it now is it is, you know, my work is actually very public because it's on the internet, but man, let me tell you, I am monitored. <laughs> like to make sure that I'm not spilling secrets because these secrets actually, like they can damage your mind. Like if people aren't ready to have their mind cracked open and experience and understand the nature of reality, it, it can. Okay. People seem to have forgotten this, that studying occultism can make you insane. You, if you are not careful, you can actually lose your mind to this kind of work. And um, I don't know why that's fallen out of place, but that's one reason we practice secrecy is to protect others. Now, I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, she's part of a secret cabal and the Illuminati and blah, blah, blah. Nah, dude. We're not interesting in controlling the world. We're interesting and in, we're interested in learning how to control ourselves and be better people. That's it. Um, it's also a test, like as a test of discipline. Can you shut up? and not, um, you know, share everything to social media and, and prove your discipline. Is it hard to, to uh, be like a social media influencer as you've become over the, over the past couple of years and still be able to draw that fine line on what to share and what not to share? It's been actually, uh, it was really hard. It's a lot easier now because I've been able to define like, what is my business? And what is my personal life? And, and that was a hard line to draw. But then there's also like, okay, I can teach traditional witchcraft, but maybe there's certain things that I can't teach. So my brain gets kind of like split into secret society stuff. Don't talk about it to public knowledge. It's okay. And I know a lot of people want, and I used to be this way. I was totally for open and free information for, for everybody. But now that I've been on TikTok, I... <laughs> I watch people take these sacred images and bastardize them and make them into something they're not. So that's where I get like kind of mad where I'm like, you guys are calling all this stuff Satanistic and Luciferian and you're putting this nasty cast of light on it when it's not that at all because your mind hasn't been trained to understand what it truly means. You're just guessing based on your lower level consciousness. So that's what magic does. Over time, it elevates your consciousness. So some people will describe that as going through your chakra system, reaching enlightenment. That's why you see in the Christian books, halos that represents not just divinity, but it represents understanding and the, um, the open lotus flower above your head. So there's, you know, there's a big disconnect for a lot of people when you are not ready to receive that information that it gets, um, it gets hurt and other people get hurt because of it. And you create these crazy conspiracy theories where you end up with QAnon, which is absolutely detrimental. So I see you have a cat there. Is that a familiar or actually, (laughs) well, I was using that actually as a lead in to ask you, you know, there's all types of different We'll say, uh, let's stick with witchcraft. There's all kinds of different witchcraft. You hear about Wicca, you white magic, black magic. Talk to me about what the reality is. Uh, Are there black magic witches? Are there white magic witches? Uh, Give me a little bit of info on on that subject. So Jerry, there definitely are different kinds of magic. Um, I've seen in the occult space online that the terms 
white and black magic have become kind of racially motivated. So people are using the terms um, like baneful magic, which are curses and hexes. Um, I don't do any kind of magic like that. I don't curse people. I don't hex people. Um, one, because I don't need to. And I'm, I'm not motivated to hurt other people. That's not my, my goal in life. Um, I actually think that that's um, really low. <laughs> like we already have enough pain and, and hurt in the world. Why do I need to add to it? Like that's what blows my mind. Like this is already a marginalized community. Why are we adding more pain and suffering into the world? Um, so white magic, as, as you called it, there's a lot of words you could call it beneficent magic or positive healing magic. Um, and that, you know what, that also gets a bad rap. People are like, love and light is bullshit. And I get it right. Because some people are in such a place in their life where they can't see the good in the world. Um, but magic is not a color. We're going to start with that. Magic is colorless. It is only colored through the magician. So depending on the kind of work you do, the kind of intention you have, that's where the color comes from. So if you're doing maleficent or evil deeds, and this goes back to where does evil come from? It comes from people. That is where you get that, that negative work. Now, there are people who do that. I'm not going to lie. You can go on TikTok and you can see people doing witch wars against each other, which is ridiculous and not what this is about at all. And then you'll see people who are doing healing work and they, they want to heal the world. So, you know, I think everybody has both parts inside of them. We are all struggling with our shadow as Carl Jung talks about it. For people who aren't familiar with Carl Jung, he was a psychologist. He was also a mystic who studied under Sigmund Freud in the 20th century. They broke off and Carl Jung went into more of this mystic path and Freud went to do what Freud does. Um, so when we get to that place, we see that there's this thing called our shadow, which is this dark, rejected, angry part of ourselves that society says, bad, put that away in a closet, don't look at it. And a lot of people haven't done their quote shadow work. So that nasty thing comes out to play because it is rejected. It is hurt. Hurt people hurt people. I don't think that black magic was as popular um, or destructive magic was as popular as it is today. I think that the internet has really taken it to a whole new level. Your podcast, one of the descriptions says that it gives an inside look at secret rituals. Mm -hmm. Give me an example of one of the rituals that you've looked at on there. So um, I talked to uh, who was my mentor, his name's Salvatore, and he was telling us about the coven that he created. So he created a coven to Hecate called the Dark Moon Coven. And during their initiation, uh, they have to work through the four elements. So fire, air, earth, and water. And he creates, um, gosh, there's no other better word to put it than like kind of a, uh, what is it called? A, it's, a, it's a thing where you go through. Uh, hold on one moment. An obstacle course. There it is. Okay. So you're, you're blindfolded and you have to go through, you have to crawl through the dirt. And as you're on your hands and knees, there are these heaters around you and you feel the heat and you have to keep going through. Um, and that was really cool uh, to, to see you can't stop. That's the point. Can you push through? So a lot of this magic is about pushing through and showing your dedication, not just to the elements or to the goddess, but to yourself. 
which I thought was really cool. I, he built that ritual himself. He actually writes all the rituals and the advancements for his coven. Um, so that's the one that he shared with us. Do you have trouble getting access to some of this stuff? Because I'm obviously a lot of this stuff is probably want to be kept private. Uh, how hard is it to get people to share these rituals with you? It's pretty hard. It's actually very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> um, you know, because there's so much, so much of this, you know, has been secret for centuries, over 50 centuries worth of magic. But it, some of them people are more willing to share if they write to them themselves. And that's something I want to talk about is a lot of people have this idea that like in order to do magic, you have to have this ancient ritual that's in Latin or whatever. Um, no. You can write your own ritual. That's totally acceptable. I teach people how to do that. Um, there's a very specific formula as we go back to everything in magic is a formula because it's math ultimately. Um, so you start with like an opening, you invoke an energy system, you protect yourself, and then you get into the spell itself. So there's all of these safeguards you have to put up ahead of time because stuff will come and try to mess with you. I cannot tell you the amount of times where I have had things try to come and interfere with my magic. Um, you know, I I've had stuff fall off the walls. I've had stuff like shake my table. Um, because when you're doing certain kinds of work, there's always forces, whether from people or whether from just their existence that they want inter to interact with you or stop you from doing it. So you do the spell itself, you give your offering, whatever that is, for all of those people asking, what do you do for blood? I give eggs. I don't like blood. I'm actually very scared of blood. Um, I know that's like kind of crazy as I'm a, I'm a cisgendered woman. Um, don't like blood. So I give eggs. And then uh, you do your closing rites where you, um, you say, thank you, everybody. You can go home now because if you leave your portal open, or your sacred space open, dude, bad stuff will happen. You're basically opening a door to the other dimension and anything can come through if you're not guarding that portal. But that, that let me bring this full circle then. You know, initially you, the uh, quote that I had said earlier said that you believe that there's not evil energy, that evil comes from humans. But in other aspects that we've talked about today, You've, you've mentioned stuff like, hey, you leave yourself open, anything can come in, but, but it almost sounds like in some ways that we're talking today that you do believe that there can be uh, malevolent spirits or something out there. Great point. Let me clarify that for you. So evil in the world, which I identify as world hunger or human trafficking, uh, for example, or the lack of human rights for women, as we're currently dealing with, those are human-based. Evils in the world that we see are human-based. You would not call a tornado evil. You would not call a hurricane evil. There are natural forces in this world, again, everything is natural, that are uh, malevolent, who don't want people to, um, to purify themselves or ascend. Uh, it's so hard to call those things evil because that's just the nature of their reality because everything emanates from spirit and spirit has both light and dark. That doesn't necessarily mean evil. You commit evil acts. The spirit itself is just being the spirit. Okay, fair enough. How did you become interested in everything that you're involved with today? What was your background religiously uh, and, and when did it take a turn towards uh, the occult? 
I was four years old. <laughs> um, so I grew up like you in a Catholic household. I had two great aunts who were nuns. And man, I, I remember going to church even since I was a child, a baby. And I was always really interested. The church that I went to had this kind of, um, in ancient times in the Pantheon, they have like an open air um, circle that brings the light down into one specific mm -hmm. spot. And my church had something similar. It was artificial light, but very similar concept. And I was obsessed with watching the transmutation where the guy, the, the priest would turn the bread into the body. And so when I was four years old, the nuns asked me, said, Ashley, do you want to be a nun? And I was like, no, I want to be a priest. And they were like, oh no, honey, you can't do that. You're a girl. And I was like, well, I'm not interested anymore. And so that's when I, I knew that I wanted to do what the priest was doing. I couldn't explain it as a child. I just knew that that was really special. So I then, I was just, you know, I went through religion. I went through my first communion. I went through uh, my first confession. Didn't really care about it. It's just something that I did. And then when I turned 12 years old, I was experiencing a stream, extreme amount of bullying. I was always bullied in school. I really don't know why I was. I was, yes, I'm just a weirdo. And I was like, I'm going to make a covenant with God. I've seen all these people make covenants in the Bible with God. I'm going to do this. Um, I'm going to pray the rosary every day. So I'll stop being bullied. Well, I did that. Nothing happened. And I was like, all right, I'm done with this. And then I went to a Renaissance fair a year later and I saw um, palm readings and tarot readings. And I was like, huh, I don't know what this is. I'm going to go check it out. The woman who did the reading for me, I, it was like this moment of revelation. It was just like a light bulb went off in my head. I was like this, I can do this. How do I do this? And this poor woman, I like bombarded her. I was like, how do I do this? Teach me now, teach me now. And she's like, just go to Barnes and Noble, buy a deck. You can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> And that was it for me. So I started, that was my first entrance into the occult was this, um, the tarot. Uh, my mom was not happy, <laughs> but you know, uh, she's just trying to protect me. Uh, and then I spent a lot of time reading. Um, like I said, in the early 2000s, the internet, like it had some stuff, but it was all like Wicca based. And that's not something that called to me at the time. So I started studying things like your aura. How do I see your aura? How does the electromagnetic energy around us interact with other people? So I spent a lot of time on that. I'll give you a quick story. I was in public speaking class in, I was like, what, 10th grade. And um, I gave the, the lecture on what auras were. And the whole class, the whole Christian's like, classroom was silent. And someone said, how many drugs do you take? I was like, oh no, <laughs> you all think I'm crazy. And that's when I learned I had to start being quiet about this stuff. So I went into college and I, I had this idea that I wanted to know what truth was. That was like my big thing. It's like, what is truth? What is the nature of reality? I need to understand. So I went into English and I was like, I'm going to read a bunch of books about it. And then it like my first semester, I was like, wait a second, I'm just reading other people's idea about what truth is. This is not what I want. So I went to philosophy. Philosophy literally means the study of wisdom. And I knew, I knew that there was something here. And that's where my, my major journey into the Western mysteries took off was through my ancient philosophy class. Uh, but I still got told I was a crazy person, a crazy weirdo, because I'd ask questions. 
uh, like especially when they brought up like the daemon and like he's talking about spirits right here and my teacher would be like ashley we know you like metaphysics this is not <laughs> metaphysics <laughs> <laughs> so how did your parents as you progressed into this how did your parents take it being practicing catholics poorly it did not go well um i'm not going to say too much who they asked me not to talk about them but um it, it was hard you know especially because it it's having to help them understand magic when you're not open to that it's so difficult so um i explained it like i explained earlier through carl Jung and explaining it through a psychological aspect because i genuinely believe that your mind, your psychology and spirituality are interconnected, that your brain is the tool in which spirit works through because you are in a meat sack or a body where you are, your soul is housed. After that, um, you know, they accuse me of being in cults and stuff like that, which like, I guess technically is right, but it's not like destructive. <laughs> um, it's been a journey. Um, they're much more comfortable with it now that they know I'm not in danger I'm not being exploited for sexual purposes or money or anything like that but um you know for a lot of people who come from the south it's hard it's hard to say I'm not a devil worshiper and people like being able to look outside their tiny little narrow worldview and and open it up again you can't force people's minds opened and and right. that is too bad <laughs> what do you think happens when we leave this world so I believe in reincarnation. I believed in reincarnation uh, for quite some time. I believe I started when I first learned about the caste system in third grade. Um, that's when I was like, that, that seems right. Um, I was also like that rebellious child who was like a thousand years in eternity and like pure bliss sounds boring. Um, so the idea is when you die, um, there's a couple of different traditions, um, but the idea is that your soul does not immediately leave earth. Your spirit and your soul, um, let's be very, very specific about those terms. So your soul is a vessel. I want you to think of it like an egg. So your outer shell is your body. Then you have the white, that is your soul. And then the yolk is your spirit. So your yolk and your, your egg, you go off um, out of the shell and you, you hang around. Some traditions say, it's 40 days. That's the, the general consensus is about 40 days. Um, and that's to finish any kind of work that you may have done to, to assist your family through the transitional period. And then you go into a place that is kind of like, um, it is kind of like purgatory. And you get there and you review your life. You review everything that you did from start to finish. And the guiding spirit, okay, also all of this comes from Plato. This is not like some crazy uh, like new age stuff. And you go through your life, you look at all of it and you say, here's where I did real great. Here's where I did not so great. Maybe I fucked up a little bit. And you learn what lessons you need in, in order for your soul to elevate. So then you stand in line for, I don't know, time is different in that, in that place. You stand in line in order to come back and do it all over again. Now, there are some traditions that say that white light that you see when you die is the birth canal. Some people think you come back immediately. I don't. I think you go through this, this process. It's similar to what I've always believed. I, I, I didn't believe, I won't say always, I didn't believe in reincarnation until I started doing this show. 
And over the last six years, I've seen so many different stories that to me seemed irrefutable, irrefutable that I couldn't not believe that that's how it happened. And I've had the pleasure to talk to so many different people with different insights, psychics and mediums that have said something similar to the, you know, reviewing your life, learning what you could do better, what you can do, where a classroom type setting, mm-hmm. um, that that's kind of where I've now kind of rested as, as what I think happens. Uh, but definitely believe in reincarnation now. Um, so that's kind of cool. Ashley, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. I didn't know what to expect. I'll be honest with you. Just, <laughs> just based on the, the little bit that I, that I knew about you, we hadn't talked before. And, uh, but I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're a blast to talk to. And Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> definitely want to have you on again in the future to talk about some other stuff that we didn't get to today. But we're talking to Ashley Ryan Pythion Priestess. Podcast is The Occult Unveiled, just starting the second season. I'm assuming that's available everywhere. Yes, yes. You can find us uh, wherever you get your podcast. You can also visit us at www.theoccultunveiled.com. You can find us, uh, it's linked there as well. So if you don't have any other way to listen to podcasts, you can listen to it on the website. Awesome. So do you do any live events or anything where, you know, that show up at any conventions or anything where people could meet you that have uh, learned about you through the podcast or through the internet? I know you said you got a half a million followers. Where is your half a million followers? Is that Instagram or TikTok or? So it's, it's through a couple of different, um, different platforms. So I have obviously TikTok's my main hub. I have just about 400,000 there. And then I have uh, 40,000 on Instagram, which you can find me at. And then I have the, the, the podcast and my Patreon, which is actually going to be moving to a for real website, which I'm very excited about where I teach magic. So I will teach you how to do candle magic, how to see auras. And you can find that at pythianmysteryschool.com. As well for the conventions. Okay. So fingers crossed. I have a big event coming up in Los Angeles. I can't talk about it just yet, Uh, but it will include a, a live ritual. That's a a little bit darker in nature. So uh, stay tuned on all the social media and uh, you'll find out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley, for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, Jerry. This has been a blast. Yes, and we will definitely have you on the future. And uh, when you find out about the LA event, send me a message and I'll make sure we help promote it for you. Oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. All right, dear. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, that wraps it up for us this week. I hope you guys have a, uh, a fun week and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you guys for listening. Have a blessed week. We love you.